Welcome back to another WSL episode and another week with the Manchester City defeat. Apologies again to Manchester City fans. I know we do a lot of uh, cheeky digs at Man City, but I think right now it's it's deserved a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I don't introduce myself a lot recently in this podcast. And for new listeners here, maybe I hope we do have new listeners. Um, I'm Alex Iwaseta, and I'm joined today by Jesse Parker Humphreys for this WSL episode. Usually the other voice that you hear on this podcast, the, the male voice that you hear on this podcast, which is very different to Jesse and I's voice, will be Abdullah Abdullah. Um, though he will be here for our Women's Champions League episode coming out later this week. So heads up for that. But yeah, coming back to the WSL. 22 goals across this weekend. Jesse, how did you find the action? I'm just going to start by saying, Alex, I don't think you need to introduce yourself. You know, you're omnipresent, surely. I can't imagine anyone will be listening who wouldn't know who you were. Um, (laughs) We're we're getting new listeners, Jesse. We need to, you know. That's true. We need to assume that people don't know who we are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, the the football this weekend was uh, great. I mean, Sunday in particular was just... A bit of a goal fest, really, wasn't it? Um, it feels like we're starting to see some trends coming out, which is always nice. It's always hard at the start of the season, I think, to read too much into the into the games, but a, a few surprises as well. Yeah, I think the most interesting bit would be kind of we're three games into the WSL, so you you are kind of seeing, yeah, kind of what the managers want to be doing with the new season, the new players, and everything coming through. So now it's just about sitting and waiting to see if it's actually progressed steadily throughout the season. Um, but yeah, so far, Arsenal sit top of the league with nine points from three matches. And the only other team that's done that is Tottenham. Um, Jesse, you know, your favourite Rianne Skinner manager. She's managing uh, quite well this season so far. I know, I've heard she's just doing it to spite me. Yeah, she she listens to the episode and she's like, I'm proving. I'm Absolutely. I have to do it. Um, but yeah, Aston Villa sit third. Chelsea in fourth, um, Manchester City sit in eighth with just three points, one win and two losses so far for them in three matches. So not necessarily the table that you would expect to see even at the start of the season, um, especially with Tottenham having played Manchester City. Um, you wouldn't really put them down to get three points from that game. But Leicester City, Reading and Birmingham City sit at the bottom of the table with zero points from three matches each. And of course, just beginning of the season. So not necessarily thinking that Tottenham is going to finish second in the league by the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, not really much to take from that, except that Arsenal are sitting top of the league. So we'll leave that there. Um, but that that gets us right into the biggest match of the weekend. Um, thought about putting kind of building up the momentum to this, but I think it's a lot better to just get right into it because there's a lot to talk about. Um I think most of us, and I think we mentioned it in the podcast uh, before, how we kind of expected Arsenal to win just because of the form that they're in recently. But we never really expected a 5-0 to happen. Um, No matter what Man City's uh, injury crisis is, no matter what the players are at Arsenal, I don't think a 5-0 would have ever been predicted. Um, But kind of just to sum up quickly, five goals. Um, Viv Miedema opened the scoring just 10 minutes into the match. Um, Alana Kennedy missed her pass to the city keeper, Taib. And Beth Mead kind of went on a 1v1. And must I say that Ty, I think her tackle was really awkward. I don't know. Her body positioning was meant to come in on a clean tackle with her foot. And then at last minute, she changed her body position and came in more with like her body. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, I think if she would have went in for that clean tackle with her foot, I think she could have actually potentially like just cleared the ball. Um, so that was a bit awkward. I think that was just... I wouldn't fault it on her, but I think that was a bit of her mistake as well, just as much as as um, Alana Kennedy's. But anyway, Beth Mead just gave it to Viv, and Viv just did what she does best and pretty much just smashed it into the back of the net without a thought. Um, Kim Little doubled the scoring in the 23rd minute. Brilliant shot inside the box. You don't really see that that often anymore from Kim Little, kind of that, that individual play, sneaky loot shot, close range, easy enough for her. Um, Katie McCabe got herself a goal. A really, really good long pass from Steph Catley. Um, decent touch. Very, very poor defending from Georgia Stanway and Alana Kennedy. And then just smashed the volley into the back of the net. Um, Kim Little made it three from the spot. And then Leah Williamson completed La Manita, as they say in Spain. A 94th minute header from center back to center back. Lottie Wobbenmoy gave her the service for that. So that's kind of a quick, a lot to talk about in each goal, to be fair. Um, but that's kind of the general summary of that. 
Jesse, again, I think we expected Arsenal to win, as we mentioned, you know, the players, the Jonas Eideball um, kind of game that Arsenal are playing now. But what surprised you most about this match? Mm, I think it's hard. I think there's two things. I think, firstly, how much it felt like City just gave in. Um, you know, it seemed like, okay, they were 2 0 down at half time. They had kind of made mistakes of their own making to get there. But it just never felt at any point, despite the large amounts of possession that they had, that they would get back into the game. Which is really strange because even if you think about this season, you know, Chelsea were like, you know, struggling against Arsenal. They were 1-0 down, but they like managed to get back in the game and they carried on pushing. I know they still lost in that game, but it just felt like City had such a different mentality. It was like they they never felt like they should beat Arsenal. Um, and then I think, I guess, you know, running, running contrary to that was just how awful they were at defending. You know, ultimately, I know it's a makeshift defence, but there is no way that players of that quality should be making the errors that they did. You know, I think I personally have always had a question mark around Alana Kennedy at centre-back I don't understand why so many people were kind of calling were or happy that she was going to come in and play that position at Man City but you know even Alex Greenwood who I think's been fantastic over the past season or so for both England and City just looked totally at sea so flappy flustered and you know in some ways I feel a bit sorry for Arsenal because it was a great win but it's so hard not to focus just on how nothingy City were. Yeah, I think that I do think that has to do with a bit of how Jonas wants to play, though, because I think if it was, and I think I'll, I'll go into it a bit more in a bit, but Jonas is very he doesn't really care about you know the prettiness, the possession based football. He just cares about the results and kind of getting playing practical football to get those results rather than playing practical football to make it look nice or make it seem like that. Um, but we'll get into the stats and the XG, which is brilliant in this case scenario. Um, but talking about the defense, you know, Stan, Georgia Stanway is definitely not a defender. She's a brilliant player. Put her as a high 10, put her on the wing maybe, but as a fullback, she's not really. First of all, she's too much. She's too risky most of the time as a defender when she defends and she gets beat, which is quite easy to beat her, um, to be fair. I don't mean that like... I'm not saying that just out of shade or anything. I just do think her 1v1 situations at a fullback aren't really that great. Um, on the other side, Demi Stokes didn't look too good on a 1v1 situation either. And you kind of saw what Arsenal were trying to do was just basically get the ball in behind the defensive line and trust the players to get the ball, which was most of the time, you know, Beth Mead, Katie McCabe, Viv Minima all got the ball in behind defenders. Um, there was quite a few really, really good balls on the floor that just rolled past the city defenders and then Viv Miedema, Beth Mead would just push defenders off and get the ball just like that. Um, it didn't always amount to anything, but it did happen quite often. Um, but yeah, it's just, and we saw that against, I will bring it up again, Man City versus Barcelona, just because it's very similar style of play and, and the wingers that Barcelona, I mean, I remember that one photo of Mariona dancing through the Man City defenders and that photo of them kind of reaching out. Um, I think Arsenal have that same drive of, of easiness of good 1v1 um, wingers that can just carry the ball in for you and, and do everything pretty much from the wing like Beth Mead. Um, but yeah, McCabe, Mead and Viv, McMead, Emma, as I put on Twitter, <laughs> they were getting around the defensive line really easily um, and behind on the floor, um, just 1v1s. It was, it was also very simple football, I found. What Jonas is trying to do with the team is just exploiting the spaces that the other teams leaving behind um but in a very direct manner you know one pass i obviously it's not a set pattern but for every one pass behind the next pass is always going forward and you can kind of you can really really tell that Jonas wants to play that really direct football and not waste time going back and kind of capitalizing on moving forward getting in front of the goal and, and just being i mean just finishing every single opportunity really um but jesse how do you summarize? I mean, you touched upon it there, but how do you summarize Man City's defensive display? You know, yes, players are injured. It's a crisis. Um, but the way Gareth Taylor and the players talked up the team before this particular match, um, they made it very, very clear that no matter what, City is still a team to be feared and that the quality is still going to be the same. Um, what do you say about that? Yeah, it's it's just like... 
I feel like Gareth Taylor's big weakness is that he really struggles to make in-game changes. Um, and I think you've, you've kind of highlighted there, Alex, how Arsenal were really able to do the same thing and again, again. And I think because of Taylor's inability to make those changes in-game, it leaves the defence feeling more and more freaked out and therefore they make more and more errors. And I think it becomes this like circular pattern, you know, like I think, again, even thinking about to the Chelsea game where Arsenal were doing quite similar things quite successfully still, even when Hayes was, you know, kind of not ostensibly making defensive changes, but by bringing on Kerr and Kirby, or, and obviously she brought on Ingle, it just still felt like she was reacting to what was going on and trying to make those changes, Whereas with which I think also then gives the players on the pitch more confidence and belief of going, OK, we've been struggling with this so far, but it's OK. Our manager is thinking about it. It's trying to come up with a solution. Whereas I feel like Taylor just kind of throws whatever on the pitch and, and hopes the solution will, will find itself. You know, you saw that even with like Shaw coming on along White, and then you've also got this bizarre situation where, yeah, lots of players are injured, but they, Man City, kind of surprised everyone by getting Ruby Mace out of Arsenal, who is like considered to be one of the most promising, you know, defenders. And I don't know whether she, maybe she wants to play midfield. She doesn't want to play in defense. And that's why he's not playing her or he doesn't trust her. But if he doesn't trust her, why did you prize her out of the club? So that's also really bizarre because it was a bit like, you know, your team's like getting literally ripped to shreds. Maybe you take Stanway off and put Mace on it right back as well to have like a more defensive option there when Arsenal are clearly just trying to play balls between in your fullback and centre-back. And all of that kind of stuff, it just feels like there's no plan or idea. And when you're talking about how Taylor's spoke before the game and also you know we're recording on Tuesday he's done his press conference for the FA Cup and it's the same again it's this really like weird siege mentality which I always think is like the biggest red flag in the world because it's basically like you, you saw it with Phil Neville at England it, it becomes this like really defensive notion about what's going on that's almost like totally detached from reality when someone just it's like they have no idea what they're doing anymore yeah I I'm not particularly fond of his press conferences, I think, because of that. Um, when you ask him, I mean, an injury crisis is, you can't even, like, talk it back. Like, everybody knows that you have an injury crisis. And it's quite literally showing when you have Georgia Stanway as a fullback. And as you mentioned, you know, there are other players that are available. And we'll get into it later, the whole academy aspect of it, because that's, like, on to the next game, um, particularly on the FA Cup. Um, but we'll go back a bit to, to Jonas Eideval and Arsenal and, and how that matched up against Man City. Um, Jonas Eideval said something really interesting about possession stats and how they're useless without a result, um, which is very contradicting to how Joe was managing Arsenal last season and the season before that. Arsenal only managed 35% possession against City, but they still managed 16 shots on goal to City's nine. And looking at the XG that we mentioned earlier... Arsenal, according to Opta stats, Arsenal finished with a 2.77 to City's not 0.5. So not necessarily um, ideal for Man City when you have a player like Ellen White, who's obviously a really good goal scorer, and then you have Kadisha Shaw coming on the bench. And I think, Jesse, you mentioned last podcast that Gareth Taylor still hasn't really found a solution on how to use Shaw and White together. Um, or even separate, for that matter, it seems. Um, but yeah, Arsenal have changed their their kind of style of play of course Joe Montero was very possession based it was it was kind of I, I like the way Tim Stillman likes to describe it it's like um a snake charmer he was trying to get people to move around and then they get to exploit the spaces and whatnot but it Arsenal barely dropped possession under 50 percent under Joe Montemoto um but then of course it's it's very well known that he clearly struggled against the likes of City and Chelsea last season um, but Jesse, I know we talked about it before, but when you look at this game in particular, how well does this new Ida ball suit these Arsenal players? I mean, you only have to look at the results to think it suits them. Um, but I think what it allows them to do, that kind of more direct, quicker pace style, is it really keeps Miedemar in the game. I think in those bigger games for Montemuro, we'd often talk about how Miedemar would really end up isolated, I think, because Arsenal would look to hold on to possession and the better teams would 
kind of be comfortable with Arsenal having possession in unthreatening areas of the pitch and be kind of willing just to defend the space where they thought Miedemar could be threatening. So then you'd kind of end up with Miedemar either dropping back or just kind of not really getting on the ball at all. Whereas I think playing these, you know, kind of more direct, and it's not even necessarily long, it's just quite quick forward passing. It's not like they're just hoofing it over the top. Um, but I think it just makes teams more concerned about Miedemar's movement and I think actually you know when we're talking about snake charmer trying to move people out of positions that that worry can almost do more than actually like trying to lure people out because I think the the panic starts to make people make bad decisions you know make defenders make bad decisions because they're like this ball is going to come at me incredibly quickly I don't know whether it's going to go you know down the channels or just directly through the middle so I've really got to, to focus on on this player because you know it could all turn around really quickly and I think the other thing that's really helping Arsenal um, play well with this style of football is having a player as dynamic as Frida Marnham be able to make those runs from midfield Um, and you know we've seen already like how versatile she was like she did a lot of like tucking in for Katie McCabe in the Chelsea game. Here we are seeing her like make much more movement into the box kind of from that free eight role that she was playing in. And I think that again, allows Arsenal to create these very quick overloads because she is just like, so she makes such clever runs and she moves forward so quickly that again, once your defense is feeling rattled, you've suddenly got all these players flooding into the box at high speed. And I think that's why it just feels like, a really right now a really clever way of kind of confusing teams because it's new and like people haven't had an opportunity to like look at it I think it will be really interesting to see you know when we get these reverse fixtures later in the season whether I mean I'm not sure if I can include Gareth Taylor in, in figuring out a solution but hey you know maybe if City have players back or but like also if Emma Hayes figures out a way to do it because we've talked a lot about how Emma Hayes often seems to need one game to to really like figure managers out but yeah and you know equally against Barcelona is it going to work when you've got more confident defenders playing against you like I don't know I think we're gonna have to wait and see but yeah right now it's clearly blowing people away yeah a lot of things to kind of reply to what you said there based on press conferences um recently more most notably with Viv Mirama um we got to ask her more about Jonas and like how the team feels and everything and Firstly, to, to kind of talking about how she fits into the more dynamic role and kind of more of a free-flowing role um, than she did against Joe when she was, as you mentioned, Jesse, a bit more isolated at the top and kind of waiting for the ball to get to her rather than going out to get it herself and be interlinked with a lot of deeper um, playmaking. Uh, she sounded, honestly, she sounded like a little kid, like just so excited to be. Um, obviously, I think she's really enjoying the fact that Jonas is really playing to her strengths and giving her that freedom and giving her a lot of responsibility in this new style of play. Um, she enjoys it because, I mean, she bluntly said it, she's like, I'm on the ball a lot, so I'm really happy. Um, and then also another bit that she mentioned, which is obviously interesting as well, um, as I think you mentioned a little bit about the confidence of going up against these teams, you know, it's different when you're playing well and you know you're just playing well and it's kind of simple as that, but there's that extra level that you probably see more in Chelsea is that you're playing well and then you have the confidence to step on this pitch and think that you're going to win the game. As you mentioned, you know, Man City maybe didn't have that mentality in this game. Um, Chelsea always have it. And I think Chelsea's mentality is one of the best ones in the league and we always talk about it. And I think now Arsenal are slowly getting to that, that point of confidence of stepping onto the pitch and saying that we're capable of winning this game. Let's go win it. Um, and Viv talked about that also, I think, the confidence and the enjoyment of football is back at Arsenal. And I mean, it's showing on the pitch, obviously. Um, so it is interesting. I think, yeah, I think you're spot on with everything that you said and, and Viv, Viv Miedema confirms what you're saying. So there's that. Um, <laughs> what an honor. Thanks, <laughs> But yeah, you touched upon it there though. In this match in particular, obviously, we can probably say that Emma Hayes will probably figure out a, a contradict, like a, a way to nullify that a direct attack or maybe not, you never know. But do you think, aside from Gareth Taylor, do you think that this is going to be as easy when the likes of, you know, Lucy Bronze, Haley Razzo, Kira Walsh are back in the squad? I think it probably wouldn't have got to the situation it got. You're talking about like a lot of leaders in that team. You know, I think we can 
debate on if Steph Horton is still one of the best centre-backs in the league, but there's no doubt that she's better than Alana Kennedy. And she's the captain. Equally, Lucy Bronze is the best right back in the world, pretty much. She also has, you know, plays a really important leadership role within that side. And I think losing those two players in particular was has been really tricky for Man City, especially when you're in a very, like, psychologically tough scenario. You know, again, talking about Chelsea, Emma Hayes will talk a lot about how, like, how many leaders they have on the pitch. So that even if you're missing one player, there's still other people who are ready to, like, take that step up. Chelsea have got, like, a million national team captains in their squad. Whereas you look at City and it just felt like with those injuries, once those two players have dropped out, I don't really know who people are looking to. You know, obviously Ellen White, but she's never really embodied a, a leadership role, I don't think, in that way. Vicky Lasada, I guess, is a player you could point to, but she's only been there for two months. So I do think it would have been different if those players were back, but I still think Arsenal would probably have won because I think City's problem right now is that they don't create great chances going forward you know and we've seen that against Spurs we've seen that against Arsenal we saw that against Real Madrid um you know even in the Everton game where they won 4-0 their XG was like quite low and Everton handed them like literally handed them a lot of those opportunities so I think that's the concern for Taylor because it feels like they're missing a lot of defenders and there are injuries you know up front like Chloe Kelly is going to be a massive miss all year and obviously it's unfortunate for Hayley Russo to kind of immediately be out but really when you're looking at that um lineup when you've got Bunny Shaw, Ellen White, Lauren Hemp okay I don't love Janine Becky but she did just win a gold medal at the Olympics you know these are still like good players who should at least be able to carve out some chances against an Arsenal team who if I was gonna you know pinpoint stuff I think they're, they're great going forward but I think there are still question marks you know at the back I still think Jen Beattie can be got at for example, and, and stuff like that. So for me, that's like, that would be the big worry because I think, you know, you can put the injuries aside, you can use that as an excuse. But when you're going forward, I, I just don't see why you can't create anything when you, when you have those players still at your disposal. And we should expect probably Gary Taylor not to change much. And going off of Gary Taylor not changing much, um, kind of a bit outside of football, just in general, another crisis for Garrett, not really crisis for Gary Taylor, but just something else to talk about and criticize maybe. Um, obviously, so after this is recorded after the Arsenal Man City game and before the FA Cup tie on the Wednesday night. Um, so Lauren Hemp and Demi Stokes picked up a couple knocks against Arsenal. So they're on the maybe list for the FA Cup. And Gary Taylor still re- refuses to play any of the academy players, which can be reminded that the reason why Man City didn't do any preseason was because there was too many players missing because the Olympics and apparently the academy players just couldn't do the job, um, whatever that means for Gary Taylor. And basically his his biggest reason for not, and again, again, in a press conference today, he's not calling up any academy players because apparently the, I mean, I understand that the level might drop off a lot, but at the same time, you know, you're supposed to be reliant on these academy players for this particular reason of, you know, sometimes you have a crisis and you need these players. So the long term plan is to incorporate them little by little into the first team, because at the end of the day, the main reason to play in the club's academy is to get to the first team, isn't it? So it's a bit bizarre the way that he's kind of handling this academy player um, situation and yeah it just seems like a dead end for these academy players you know when you're when the first team coach is saying that I'd rather have one person on the bench than call up any academy players because I think they're going to do a bad job isn't really a good thing and you have players like Jess Park, Ellie Roebuck and Esme Morgan who all featured in City's Academy so it's not like City's Academy is, isn't producing you know these top good players um, and yeah as you mentioned just you know Ruby Mace just got out of Arsenal's Academy um, he brought her in, hasn't really played her much, and she's obviously proved herself in the WSR already after going alone out of Arsenal. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I think it's really almost arrogant for him to say that he thinks after losing 5-0 to Arsenal, losing to Spurs, that he has he's going to say that these academy players are going to do a worse job than that, basically. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Jesse. Yeah, I think it, it's strange in two senses. I think 
firstly, it is weird because you would assume Manchester City have a good academy and that you would want to use those players and help them make the step up. And as you say, you know, I think Jess Park is a, a classic example of that because it feels like something's really changed there because it was only last season, actually about this time last season, that Gareth Taylor started her against Chelsea in another quite bizarre decision that didn't go very well. But that's weird because it seems like there's been a bit of a, a shift in his thinking. And then also just as you kind of touched on from a mentality perspective, for me, if I was a coach and I was going through an injury crisis, my line would be, you know, we're all in this together. This is a great opportunity for some of the younger girls, you know, and kind of like, then you can, it's a much more, um, it's a much better excuse, I think, to say that, to be like, you know, we've been able to give these young players an opportunity, but ultimately there are academy players. Of course, they're not necessarily going to be up to it. I mean, you don't even know that. Like, they might be great. You might see who can look good under pressure. And it's just very odd because you, you see, you know, like Chelsea and United have like quite a few academy players who've, who've gone out on loan and they're obviously keen to be developing them. But, you know, then Chelsea have kept back Georgia Fox because they've got like problems at fullback. Um, I know Jonas Idevel is a lot keener on using academy players than Joe Montemuro was. And that's kind of something that he's already touched on um, in some of his press conferences. Um, United similarly are like looking at integrating their players. So it's just totally out of whack with the rest of every other like elite women's team in England. And yeah, if you're there and you're 17, 18 and you feel like you can't even get into I don't know, training or on the bench for an FA Cup game. Surely you've got to be thinking, what on earth am I doing at this club? Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. I think, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't really care if Garrett, I don't really care if Garrett Taylor uses academy players, but I do feel for these academy players that, yeah, you know, you commit yourself to the club like that. And then the first team coach isn't really interested in, in playing you. You know, it's, I think looking at the greater, aspect of women's football so it's a bit of a shame because these big clubs are kind of the only ones that are able to keep up a good you know women's academy team and then you have someone like a team like Man City who isn't going to use them um I think it's a bit of a of a shame overall um and I don't know if that's maybe just something in the academy that might be a thing or if it's just solely Garrett Taylor being a bit odd about the subject also, the weirdest thing of it all is that Gareth Taylor is an academy coach or was an academy coach. He was an under, that's like the only job he's had was an under 18 coach. So again, if there's anyone who you'd be like, understands the mentality of what it means to break into an elite senior team, you would think it's the man who coaches Manchester City Men's Academy, which has actually done kind of quite well, obviously, you know, with, with players like Foden, or, you know, and even Jaden Sancho, obviously he left because he didn't feel like the opportunities were there. But again, when you've clearly been like mentoring and working with players like that, why, when you're in a first team job, have you like totally reversed your position? It makes absolutely no sense. But we're going to flip this and talk about a non-injury crisis, finally, at Arsenal. <laughs> Basically... Almost everyone was available for Arsenal, including Jordan Nobbs um, and Vicky Schneiderbeck, finally, as well. Uh, Simone Boyle was the only one unavailable through injury. Um, I won't go into everything, but basically, you know, Arsenal's bench featured Iwabuchi, Jordan Nobbs, Caitlin Ford, Tobin Heath, Anna Patton, Nikita, Nikita Paris, lots of women boy, and Vicky Schneiderbeck. You know, that's, I feel like it's the first time in a really, really long time that Arsenal have been able to, to name a full squad um, well, almost full squad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's when you think about it, you know, we, we're talking about the quality of of how Arsenal play with this direct style. And then, you know, you have Beth Mead, Katie McCabe, uh, Viv Miedema coming off and you have Nikita Paris, Tobin Heath and Caitlin Ford coming on, you know. It's uh, it's really good for, especially with Jonas that wants to play more direct, more high press, more it's a lot of running, you know, I was watching Kim Little do that high press and I was really, really tired just watching her run around like that. Um, so it's really, really good. And Jesse, yes, you're, you're a Chelsea fan and we can definitely say that Chelsea probably have had the best depth in squad for the past couple of years. Um, but how good is this Arsenal cider at the moment? Yeah, it's absolutely stacked. It's amazing. It's, it's a really quality squad and it's bizarre how quickly it's 
turned around you know it feels like it didn't feel necessarily like Arsenal were using the summer to absolutely pack out their squad although there obviously is like a large number of new signings there you know what three four new signings but I think it's the combination of that you know there's players who are who have been signed before under Montemuro but are now fully fit so players like Catley so then you do have this like rotation option with McCabe and also McCabe can versatility she can play further forward um but yeah and it's great for Arsenal because as you say the style's very intense and before it felt like they were just stuck in this vicious cycle where because there were so many injuries and the squad was quite small players were then having to be played for a much longer period of time and then they were picking up injuries because they had been played too much whereas now you just feel like if there's anyone you're concerned about you can drop them that no worry there's a player who's like as close to equal or maybe even better depending on what you're looking at when you're like looking at bringing someone like Tobin Heath on the key to Paris on you've got different options for different systems you've got the option you've got players having competition and you're probably going to keep your players fitter so yeah it it's a really scarily good squad finally you can compete with Chelsea on that front because it's yeah I feel like it's been a really really long time that Arsenal fans can genuinely say that the best squad is available and kind of the best of the best can be and there's not a lot of sacrifice as you mentioned Jesse of kind of having the the rotation between injuries and non-injuries and filling in for those injured players in a position that players aren't really necessarily comfortable with sometimes but lastly just because we haven't spoken about it yet and I feel like everyone in the world needs to talk about it at least once Tobin Heath what do you think? Yeah amazing I'm so happy she's back as soon as the rumors were coming out I was just so psyched because she looked so good for United last season it was gutting when she got that injury and it's just great to see her come back and play in the WSL. I mean, I don't know how long she'll be here for. I hope it is at least until the end of the season, but I'm not convinced it will be. Um, but it's just it's just great to great to have her here. And I'm happy for her because, you know, she's, she's a long-time Arsenal fan and I'm glad that she's got the opportunity to play for a, a club she loves because, you know, I, I can imagine what that must feel like and, yeah, what an awesome moment for her. Yeah, I mean, there's really no words about it. I think it's it's not going to be a bad signing either way. But anyway, we're going to move on finally from Arsenal Man City. I feel like that was that was a really long uh, talk, I think. Yeah, but Arsenal we, Man we City special. <laughs> there you go, just that. Um, but moving on to another Manchester-London rivalry. Um, not really rivalry, just London versus Manchester. Obviously, London won this time around. Um, but yeah, for the second game week in a row Chelsea made pretty light work of what is supposed to be a top three contender with back-to-back five goals over Everton and now Manchester United this was I mean a 6-1 win over Manchester United that was not I was I was watching the start of um start of the match with my girlfriend's dad and obviously I'm, I'm getting it I'm getting him into like women's football quite a lot he calls Tobin he Toby um because he loves her so much um, but yeah, Chelsea took the lead with the 90 seconds as Frank Kirby scored her 50th WSL goal. Um, and he saw that and he wasn't really impressed with Manchester United, just bluntly said that their defense sucks. Um, so that was very interesting. Uh, but yeah, Pernille Harder scored a really individual goal and Sam Kerr made it 3-0 before halftime. Um, Mark Skinner changed things in the second half, bringing on Alessia Russo, who got one back almost immediately. Shout out to Maidstone. Woohoo! Um, and, but that was thanks to a Millie Bright deflection. Um, but then Chelsea added three more goals from Kerr, Drew Spence, and Jesse Fleming finally gets her first Chelsea goal. My God, and I didn't watch it. I am so sad. I've been waiting for this for the longest freaking time, and I missed it. <sighs> anyway, let's start with the Manchester United defense. Jesse, what on earth was going on there? Yeah, it was um, awful, really. Uh, Chelsea could have and probably should have scored within 30 seconds. Uh, Sam Kerr was kind of able to nick the ball off Torres Dottier and shot, um, but um, it wasn't, wasn't a great shot. And then obviously about 60 seconds after that, Chelsea did manage to open the scoring. And, you know, even when we're looking at Penila Harder's goal, that was just like a situation where it felt like 
I know it's been the main topic on Twitter today about whether it was elite defending. And it was obviously a fantastic goal, but I'm not sure it was elite defending, no. But then I don't think Manchester United necessarily have elite defenders. Um, so, yeah, they just brought... It's a bit like the City thing. They just brought trouble on themselves. You know, neither City or United made Chelsea or Arsenal go into top gear to, to beat them. And, you know, if you're playing Chelsea you pretty much know they're going to score at some point. So I guess the best thing you can do is not hand them goals because most of the time they'll create them themselves. If you start handing them, it just happens like this and you're 3-0 down at half time, And then, you know, it's almost like even if you bring on, you know, you get one goal back, you don't really think Chelsea are going to concede four because they only concede four if they're playing Barcelona. So, you know, you're kind of fucked at that point, aren't you? Yeah, I don't think... I mean, it was it was hard for Manchester United coming in. They haven't really been, they haven't really kept up that momentum that they had last season. Um, even last season, they kind of it died out halfway through the season, towards the end of the season. It, they didn't really keep up that same momentum that they started with. Um, and even this season against under Mark Skinner, it hasn't really been the most smooth of a transition between managers. I don't think Mark Skinner has brought necessarily anything new and anything promising i mean casey stoney really really raised the level the standard of managing and the way she managed the team really really high um so it was i mean for any manager coming in it was going to be a really big a really big kind of challenge to to build up to that um so it was definitely yeah it's just it's not really promising i mean six one is is really really bad um to come away with for a manchester united side but also afterwards, Emma Hayes said that she didn't feel like this was a particularly good performance and also that Chelsea were better than they were last season, um, which was amazing. I mean, obviously, that was making circles on Twitter as well. Kind of the mentality of Emma Hayes. I mean, it's not really any surprise that she's always asking for more and more of her team. But Jesse, what did you make of those comments? Yeah, I kind of got entirely what Emma Hayes was saying because... Chelsea were just able to be clinical based off of United's mistakes. And I feel like something we still haven't seen from Chelsea in this 3-4-3 formation is much effective attacking build-up play that kind of goes from back to front. You know, the goals they scored against Everton, lots of them were from high turnovers. Similarly here, the, the press was really good. And, you know, Chelsea are influencing those mistakes, but the problem Chelsea will face is when you play better teams, which, you know, we're going to, see in the Champions League is they're not necessarily going to feel the same amount of pressure that your your high press is putting on them they can just play around it so then you've got to ask the question well what are you creating when you have possession on the ball and I do think this is something you know Chelsea have really been very effective as being a a counter-attacking side but you know I think also teams are kind of figuring that out and sometimes some teams are going to be happy to let Chelsea have the ball because they just don't want to be pressed by them in that way So I think that's kind of what Hayes is getting at. And I also think, you know, in midfield, there was large amounts of space left in behind kind of this Loipoltz-Ingle double pivot, depending on who went forward, which Manchester United were kind of able to exploit. They just weren't particularly clinical in the final third with it. So I think that is still a bit of a concern. I mean, you can't really complain when you're still winning 5-0, 6-1, but I just think they're the kind of things that if, it's good that your manager is looking at and saying you need to do better because I think you could see that in the game. Chelsea are already a better side than they were last season because Jesse Fleming scored. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, talking about scoring, Chelsea have now scored 13 goals in their opening three games. And despite losing to Arsenal, they look like a pretty imperious, they look pretty imperious going forward. Um, I mean, that's no surprise when you're playing three in the back and then you get to attack with the three of Fran Kirby, Pernil Harder and Sam Kerr. But does this suggest that the Arsenal game was a blip? Are we looking at a two-horse race? Obviously, counting Manchester City out of the race maybe already. Um, but how advantageous that I completely said that word wrong. We're moving on from that. Will those three points be for Arsenal in particular going up against Chelsea? Yeah, I don't think the Arsenal game is necessarily a blip. I think Arsenal played really well and exploited Chelsea's weaknesses. That being said, obviously, you know, if it does, those three points do end up being very advantageous. It's going to be frustrating because not all of those goals counted for Arsenal. So 
I think it'll be really interesting to see these these like teams match up again. I suspect we'll probably get to see it more than just one more time would be my guess. I think when we look across the cup competitions and stuff. So I think it's going to be really tasty rivalry. And as I kind of said earlier, I do wonder if Hayes will, what I'm intrigued to see what solution Hayes maybe comes up with for Ida ball as we're calling it. Um, But yeah, I think if you're Arsenal, you're sitting pretty to have beaten Chelsea and city within the first three games of your season is exactly what you want to happen because Arsenal never lose to anyone outside the top three. So at this point, they've just got to, you know, steam through until they get to the reverse fixtures. So, yeah, I mean, for Chelsea, I guess all eyes now on the November game against City, because I think if they win that, then we are just looking at a two horse race. Yeah, I think on the other hand, I think it'll be interesting to how Jonas Eidabal, um reacts to Emma Hayes reacting to his style of play, if that makes sense. Um, so I think it'll definitely be a, a really good race between Arsenal and Chelsea, particularly because Arsenal do have those three points already. Um, will they be able to get the three points in the next game? Who knows? Um, but obviously they can settle with the draw, which is probably easier than going for the win at this point um, against a very hungry and strong mentality Chelsea side. Um, but yes, moving away from everything, we'll get on to the rest of the WSL now. Um, next one up is Everton 3, Birmingham City 1. Um, well, actually, maybe going back to Arsenal, Leonie Meyer scored her first goal for Everton. Um, I absolutely adore Leonie Meyer. She's literally the cutest little... She's so adorable, but at the same time, if you if you go up against her, like she's well like fit. like She is so strong. It's ridiculous. Um, Hannah Benison scored as well. Rike Sevike, probably butchered that last name, definitely. And Jade Pennock uh, scored for Birmingham. Um, so it wasn't quite the strong bounce back we expected from Everton after their rough start to the season. They still looked pretty disjointed, um, which probably won't be that big of a surprise unnecessarily. Um, and obviously against Birmingham City, it's one of the easier opponents. Um, so you would expect Everton to have that win anyway. Um, but Hannah Benison was a big transfer window talk. Um, a lot of us didn't know her that well to be able to talk her up that much. Um, but I thought the goal she scored in this picture shows the quality she has. I think the simplicity in it was enough to show you that she's a good player, if that makes sense. I don't know. I, I think it's a very particular kind of way of seeing players um, do the very, very simple things really, really well and just have that vision. Um, it was a simple goal. It was a give and go pass in the middle. Um, she moved into space, took a first touch away from the defender, and then boom, really good place ball into the back of the net. Jesse, what do you think Willie Kirk will have taken from this performance? Yeah, I really thought Everton were going to come out stronger from this. And again, it just all feels very disjointed. I know Willie Kirk was kind of talking about maybe tried to do too much, bringing players in, trying to play a new system, but stuff still doesn't feel like it's clicking. And you can kind of see him trying to figure that stuff out. Like even Benison, who I think has looked really good in those opening games, kind of coming on at half time. Um, obviously, she then makes a, an amazing impact. Um, that goal was was fantastic. Um, but again, it, yeah, it just doesn't really feel like there's a huge amount of of confidence, I guess, in this Everton side. That being said, I think Leonie Meyer being back is great for them. And, you know, I mean, her getting a goal, it, it, it's good. It's not really what you, what you want her there for necessarily. Like, it's just an added bonus. But I think having a, a proper right back um, is something they really missed in those opening two games. So I guess, you know, a win is a win. It would have been expected. I expect they're disappointed still to have conceded. But, you know, I think you've just kind of got to take it and move on they are obviously out of the FA Cup so they've got a whole week to prepare which you know maybe that's just what they need some more time on the training ground and on the other side a first goal for Birmingham from Jade Pennock uh magnificent magnificent I am so sorry I cannot speak today for some reason it's it's a very gloomy day very raining day you can tell which bits of the script I wrote for Alex (laughs) and then she has to read it yeah She's like cursing me, putting these stupid (laughs) long words in. Magnificent. It's not that hard, Alex. Um, But yeah, Birmingham obviously losing this game. They sit bottom of the table at the moment with zero points from three games. But is there any hope for this side, Jesse? I don't think so. I mean, the goal from Pennock was 
was really, really good. And she's a really exciting player. And I'm happy to see her, you know, get get on the score sheet. And what I really liked about it was that it wasn't the kind of goal which we sometimes see from teams around the WSL, either the like really scrappy bundled it over the line, like terrible defending at a corner or, you know, like what we used to see with Ebony Salmon, like just a really good counter-attacking goal. It just was like a really high quality piece of like pass and move with a really elite finish. So, you know, I think that's a, a good positive for Birmingham to take, but I still think, you know, if we're looking at the other sides on zero points, uh, Leicester and Reading, I think they will both, um, I think they've got a higher ceiling than this Birmingham team do, definitely. It'll be interesting. I mean, we said at the beginning of the of the WSL podcast in the preview that Birmingham probably are favorites to go down this season. Um, I think just after last season, there it was a lot to kind of fix and very, 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 very minimum resources from the club and everything. So it's it's a bit of a shame, but it is what it is. And and Leicester and Reading, as you mentioned, Jesse, you have a bit more of a of a chance to to get out of that position of zero points at the bottom of the table. Um, but moving on to what I think is an interesting, um, probably the two most interesting, intriguing teams that we've spoken about at the, in the preview podcast, Brighton nil, Aston Villa one. Emily Gilnick scored for Aston Villa. And Aston Villa, maybe we, we I think we didn't, we didn't make maybe a couple people unhappy about the way we talked about Aston Villa and kind of the hopes that we had for them. But They've had an interesting start of the season with a win over Leicester City, a draw against West Ham, and now a win over Brighton. Um, whereas Brighton have had bluntly, you know, a really good start to the season. They beat West Ham and they put five past Birmingham City. And obviously, you know, Birmingham City, again, you would expect them to win, but putting five, that's pretty big for a team that isn't Chelsea, uh, Manchester City or Arsenal. Um, but Jesse, what are your thoughts now? Three matches into this Aston Villa side being managed by Carla Ward now. I think the thing that you see about this Villa side is it's really like Carla Ward's never say die attitude is already like super imprinted on this team. You really saw that in the in the West Ham game. And, you know, I think in the in this game against Brighton, obviously, I didn't really feel like Villa were like super on top. I thought Brighton had some good opportunities. And I think on another day, this game could easily have gone a different way my worry for Villa at the moment is how flappy Hannah Hampton looks in goal still which I really don't understand because she's literally come from a Birmingham team whose defense would have been much worse than this Villa defense but for some reason she hasn't really settled I mean obviously she's you know a young keeper it's her first like kind of like proper move I don't know whether she's feeling a bit nervous but you know she's still being managed by her old manager so you'd kind of think that would would help her but that would be my worry because she's meant to be one of Villa's, you know, kind of biggest assets. And at the moment, she looks like she's, you know, ready to sling the ball into her own net most games. Um, but yeah, you know, like I think Carla Ward's a fantastic manager. I'm really happy that this step is, you know, working for her. Emily Gilnick took her goal amazingly. Great for her as well to, you know, come in as, as a new signing and, and get off the mark straight away. I think Aston Villa will have struggles as the season goes on. But, you know, the fantastic thing for them is with seven points on the board now, they're realistically probably going to be safe. So the pressure's off, you know, and it's an opportunity for Ward to like really put her mark on this team rather than having to worry about scrapping for every single point there is. And looking at Brighton and their manager, never doubt Hope Powell, I think we can say is the motto of this podcast sometimes. Um, but, you know, Brighton, as we mentioned, they do look good so far. Um, obviously, it's always been interesting and you're always intrigued and kind of drawn to how well Hope Powell can push this Brighton team. But do you think, you know, given the performances that we've seen by Everton, given the performances that we've seen by Man United, do you think, Jesse, that Brighton can take a spot in the top four or five in the WSL this season? Yeah, I think that definitely should be their aim, given how they've started. I really like the way they're moving the ball across the front line at the moment, the way they're really like exploiting 
wide areas and teams. They didn't obviously score in this game. You know, stuff didn't come off, but there were good chances. I think, you know, Rinsola Babajide and Dan Carter could be a really like ferocious duo for, for lots of sides to come up against. Um, and, you know, seeing Anessa Kagman link up with those two as well was really exciting. And yeah, as I say, I, the way they move the ball in attacking situations is of a lot higher quality than many of those teams in the like kind of mid to lower mid table. So I think that should be their aim. And yeah, as you said, looking at Everton United start, it really feels like those kind of positions are totally up for grabs right now. And looking at a top position at the moment, Tottenham beat Reading 1-0 with a Jessica Naz late goal in the 85th minute. Not the most enthralling game, but I'm sure that anyone, that's another word, you know, Jesse wrote that script there. Um, I would never use that word. <laughs> um, I'm not sure anyone would have had Spurs taking three wins from three games at the start of the season, sitting second. Um, you know, it's, we can talk about Tottenham, but obviously, Jesse, we have to mention it. Is Rianne Skinner making you eat your words? Well, yeah, currently right now she is because I kind of thought they, they could also be in the mix to go down and with nine points, they're probably, you know, ditto with Villa, totally safe. So, yeah, I think mm, it's been a good start to the season. I think it's been a little bit of a fluky start to the season. Um, they're still incredibly profligate in front of goal. But I will, what I will say for them, which they've done really well, is they have been a lot better at defending and I think just having possession of the ball, being able to keep possession for longer has allowed them to take the pressure off. And, you know, if we take the City game out of it, because obviously they kind of, you know, battered them, you know, obviously not in the end result, but in terms of shots taken and, and look at kind of their their first two games, I think their expected goals against has been around 0.25 for both this Reading game and, and the Birmingham game. And last season, their lowest expected goals against was 0.18, but then... The second lowest was 0.35. So in the opening two games, they basically like registered lower than they almost did in, in the entirety of last season. And I think that that speaks to, you know, a bit of better organization. I think if they could add the goals, they would look better. But I think right now it still feels like the chance creation is a bit hit and miss and the finishing isn't great. So I'd like to see more of that. But Rahan, I know you're listening. Well done. I'm glad. I've motivated you and your team to this success and, you know, congratulations. It's all because of you, Jesse. that's it. We're putting everything down to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but looking at the other side of it, Reading, um, obviously, I think we mentioned it earlier, you would expect a bit more from Reading, maybe. Um, I do think that losing a player like Ferry Williams in the midfield might have kind of unbalance the team in general you know when you have a player like Ferry Williams that gets to di dictate the pace and put in those balls you know you're she's a player that you rely on maybe too much sometimes um just because of how good she is really um but you know still no points for Reading so far in three games and yes again it's only three games so we're we're talking based on you know probably next couple weeks Tottenham are going to be bottom of the league who knows um but obviously that is impossible we're not that I'm not that dumb you know I, I can't say Jesse's big words but I'm not that dumb <laughs> um that was a joke I I can say the words I'm just not no actually maybe not I'm gonna stop talking now um still no points for Reading should Kelly Chambers be worried Jesse uh, yeah I think you're right when you say Farrell Williams was always gonna be a really big loss I think the only thing Reading can maybe you know, feel good about is, or not good, but feel hopeful about, I guess, is, you know, this was the first time Rose, Van Havermet and Dowie got to start. They didn't really create a whole load um, with those players starting, but, you know, to be three, it's unfortunate to be three games into the season and only then be able to start like your three big signings for, for the summer. Um, so I think, you know, Kelly Chambers has been in that job a long time. I think she'll feel confident that as, you know, the relationships start to build, that there will be more to come. I think it's just frustrating when you see other teams pulling away and you think that could have been you if players are coming at different times or your squad have been more settled. But I don't think they need to worry too much yet. Um, I think maybe in two days' time... If they're still looking like this, that will be a bit more of a worry. But 
you know, I'm excited for those players um, to really get going because I think they will be good. And finally, moving on to the last WSL game of the weekend, um, not actually last, just the last one that we put on our list, West Ham 4, Leicester City 0. Tamika Yallop, Claudia Walker, Chrissy Lavelle um, scored for West Ham and then Ashley Plump, Plumpter, um, bad pronunciation, got an own goal for Leicester City. Um, Ollie's at the wheel as Jesse. That's Jesse's script again. You can blame her for that one. Um, is, ev- is everybody ready for this? <clears throat> Perneal's at the only harder leaving defenders in the dust this weekend. As West Ham thrashed Leicester City 4 0. Tabloids hire me. I could write a headline. <laughs> write that all the headlines that. possible. <laughs> uh, Jesse, you know, Leicester have put in some good performances in their first two games, even if the results didn't go their way. And I think we all expected that as they came up. We all know the quality of players that they have. It was just a matter of if they can get, if they can play enough football to get results um, without just being that good team that came up from the championship. Um, what happened here in this particular match? Um, basically West Ham were just like, we're going to pump loads of long balls behind your defense and run onto them. And Leicester just freaked out every single time that happened and couldn't get to any of those balls. And yeah, literally that's all West Ham did the whole game. It was like the easiest, most obvious game plan in the world, but Leicester just didn't really seem able to deal with it at all. Um, they got a bit better in the second half, you know, they had some good moments going forward, but then they fell into the shooting from long range trap that I hate and you know that that meant kind of any good opportunities just got like hit at Mackenzie Arnold and it was really you know I know Mackenzie Arnold likes to flap but even she wasn't going to flap at those so yeah I mean you know I think this Leicester team could be good maybe if they get a um, confidence boosting win against City in the FA Cup we'll see a different side to them in the WSL which we can definitely maybe it is possible um, you know, just injure all their players and then they're stuck with uh, eight, nine players on the pitch. So that's one uh, strategy, one game plan to go there. Uh, but looking at West Ham, this was West Ham's first home win since February 2020. Um, obviously, decent start to the season, although they did lose to Brighton 2-0, but they did get a red card in about the 30th minute. So that game could have gone a bit different, maybe. Um, obviously, Rescue uh, lost the lead against Aston Villa in the last minute to draw 1-1. And then obviously this bit convincing of a 4-0 win. Um, Jesse, can they continue this form or is it just kind of an okay start to the season? No, I'm feeling good. I'm big Oli Harder fan. I, I love what's happening there. You know, I think this was a great win. It was great to see Tamiki Yallop scoring, Claudia Walker scoring. Um you know, seeing some different players get goals, not having to kind of rely on Adriana Leon to do something exciting. You know, this was a very simple game plan, but they did it well. Um, they they could have got more. You know, Bruno Stottier missed a number of good opportunities. And what's really notable is how good they are at putting those midfielders into, into the box. Um, Hasegawa just is adding so many, like, exciting little moments of quality to that midfield. And, you know, even in this game, like Leicester have got a number of good attacking players and you could really say West Ham were kind of playing a makeshift defense, you know, like Bryce Fisk is still out. Um, Lisa Evans is out at the moment. So yeah, I think there's more to come from this West Ham team and, you know, I'm, I'm excited for it because I'm a big Ollie Harder fan. Really? Is it just because, you know, harder, harder is the thing. If, if, if Ollie would have had any other last name, would you still like him as much? I don't know. He just gives me good vibes. Like, <laughs> It's not really the harder name thing. He just seems like a cool dude. Fair enough. He does look like a cool dude, to be fair. Um, But yes, this concludes our WSL episode. Keep an eye out for the Women's Champions League episode coming out later this week, um, potentially even the day after this episode comes out. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see how long we take in the editing. Um, But it should anyway, it should come out in the same same week. So keep an eye out for that. a reminder that there is still time to vote for us in the Football Content Awards. Um, check our Twitter for more information about how to vote. It should be in our pinned um, tweet at the top of our, our Twitter. Um, our official Twitter account is at BoxToBoxWSL. You can keep up to date with all information and updates on the podcast. We're trying to be a bit more active on that account as well. 
Um, so if you want to interact with us a bit more and, and kind of tell us what you like, what you don't like, or just ask us other questions that we don't really answer on the podcast, um, anything you want on there, really, um, contact us through there and then you can fire, find our individual Twitter handles on there. Um, but yeah, see you soon uh, for the next WSL, maybe a little FA Cup content in there as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Cheers, guys. Goodbye.